So today is the day. The day of um am I supposed to guess? Have a guess. Okay. Negotiations uh, have been ongoing for quite a while now, but today I believe is gonna be the day. Ah, oh, well. Of course I I know what it is. So. <laughs> it's kind of silly to be pretending, isn't it? Well, I'm not I'm not sure you do. What do you think it is? Oh no, no, you've really put me off. Um <laughs> well, you do this to me all the time. Every time I say something, you look at me in a confused manner. Your answer is Today is the day that we release a podcast on tennis.com. No, that wasn't it, but yes it is. Oh. That is that is also Well I mean I'm so I'm fifty percent correct. I'm correct in what I'm saying, but yeah. it's not what you're saying. We are we're really excited, aren't we, that we're part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Yes. We have a new home. We do. We have a new home on Tennis.com, as I was saying, yeah, <laughs> on their on the Tennis Channel's website, uh, along with lots of other fabulous podcasts, and uh, we will be on there for the foreseeable future. We are part of a podcast family, which is quite exciting. So, if you are listening for the first time, uh, bear with us. <laughs> it will <laughs> it will make sense at some. No, that's really exciting, and people can look at Instagram and Twitter, and there's links to everything, and that's where our new home is. But what? What, what is happening today is a little bit more traumatic because I would say that's exciting. Right. It, it is exciting. Yeah, because we've got a new logo. That was good. Little tea in the corner, ready to rock and roll. We have a new logo. Everything about that's exciting. It, that not one bit of that is traumatic. Oh, 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 oh. So now we're looking for something traumatic happening today. Traumatic happening today. Not personally for me, but for a member of my family, it's going to be a traumatic day. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm really concerned for you. Are you sure this is podcast material? <laughs> Do you know we're recording right now? <laughs> what is going on? If I said the word pumpkin, ah, for you, it's not traumatic. For you, knowing you, you'll be like, what is the issue here? But one of my boys is, is a very sensitive soul. And he believes that a pumpkin is a living thing. Or in the yes. case of our pumpkins, they were living things because they really don't look great round about now. Because we've had them for quite a while. The plow with a pumpkin, they get a bit old, start to smell. You put them in the woods and the squirrels have an absolute whale of a time. It's, it's, it's the circle of life when it comes to a pumpkin. But my youngest believes that a pumpkin is a living thing and therefore I am giving its body to someone else to eat. Do you see the trauma? That is what you're doing. No, but I'm not. A pumpkin is a living no, thing. No, don't you. Don't make it. And you are giving its body <laughs> for the squirrels to eat. And you should. And I think that is excellent. That is the circle of life. There we go. We've got all the way round in a circle. Yeah, but firstly, don't make me feel even worse than I already do. Secondly, it's completely different. But how do you explain to a four-year-old that a pumpkin is going to feel no pain? Although there might be someone listening now telling me different. Um, but I've never heard my pumpkin scream when I put it in a soup or do anything like that. And all I'm saying is the time has come for the pumpkin to go to the squirrels and my... The eldest of the twins is like, Mum, get it out. It's starting to smell. I'm just not interested in it anymore. It served its purpose. My youngest is it's he's actually very emotional about the fact that we're giving the body of the pumpkin to the squirrels. <laughs> and I keep trying to tell him without laughing, because I dealt with this last year. I'm having to explain that the I don't know, the life to death process journey of a pumpkin. <laughs> is the things they don't tell you in in parenthood that you're going to have to do yes but this is an important lesson is it this is it it's a yes. pumpkin be brutally honest this is life 
There we go. No, and but, death. No, it's not. It's not this is life because if I don't know a, a beloved pet or maybe an elderly relative passes away, we're not going to take them to the woods for the squirrels to eat. It's completely. Yes, different. you do. You bury them and they decompose. That's that's. Oh, why are we talking about this? It's horrendous. I'm going to sit with a four-year-old and go through that someone's body gets eaten. So the pumpkin. Well, going to have to at some point. Well, yep, not at four. <laughs> so it's been. We've been negotiating since the pumpkin was acquired. We've been negotiating, um, but I think it's only just hit him that today after school is it happens. And what did you do with the innards in the end? Because you were asking for oh recipes in and, terms and of pumpkin innards. What did you go with? Did you make your soup? You just said soup. It wasn't screaming as you put it into the soup. <laughs> we had, That's we had good. <laughs> we, had, we had a genetically modified pumpkin. It was... It was enormous. We could have soup for the next year. Now, a couple of people kindly on Twitter sent in some recipes. Um, we've seen recipes for cookies that are pumpkin and is it pumpkin and chocolate? Yum! I have a feeling. I have a feeling they're going to be brought to us at the tour finals. I'm pretty sure that was Mary with her recipe for cookies. Excellent. Uh, no, I gave it to anyone that wanted some pumpkin. He he didn't mind me giving away the flesh of the pumpkin. He just doesn't want it to be eaten by squirrels. Right. So he's happy he's happy scooping it out and and giving it to someone. So um so yeah, the pumpkin that's going to happen later. So I've got a few hours to prepare myself to prepare himself. Yeah, I just I'm not <laughs> I don't think I'd be very helpful in this situation. I'm not very good at getting inside the mind of a 4-year-old. No, you would you'd be like get over it. It's dead. We all yeah. get eaten. And you you yeah. cannot say that sentence to a 4-year-old. Get over it. We all get eaten. But what oh, okay. I I think What you, were you about to say why? <laughs> I I cannot wait. I cannot wait for you to have children. I cannot wait for you to be dealing with a situation like this. I'm going to I'm going to ask to be there when you're dealing <laughs> and I'm going to be sorry for my kids I'm going to be no help at all when you're trying to explain that I just promise me one thing that whether we're doing the pod or not in however many years I can be there for this moment oh Please. right yeah I thought you were thinking of recording it for a pod <laughs> episode that is a that's a while away but uh yeah um, okay, well, now now I'm thinking that uh, my reputation of being cold and heartless might <laughs> might be somewhat accurate. <laughs> I don't know where that reputation came from. Let's just say if I've got any big things to deal with, like the passing of a pumpkin, you're not having a conversation with my children about it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but but aside from but the thing is, look, this is what I'm dealing with because I'm at home this week. I'm dealing with with pumpkins and Halloween and all those bits and pieces, you don't have to worry about any kind of conversations like this because you're actually dealing with tennis this week. I am. I'm in Milan, which is uh, it's really exciting. It's my first time in Milan for Next Gen, ATP Next Gen finals, where everything's new and cool and fresh, which is obviously why they've asked me to commentate. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Maybe one, am I one of those things? Possibly. I don't know. But uh, it's my first time being here. So it's been really fun. We had day one yesterday. So we saw all of the players out in action. And I tell you what, it is all about Yannick Sinner. The Italian, he's already top 100. He took out Francis TFO yesterday. The atmosphere was insane. It was so good. It was amazing. He actually, bless him, because he's not used to this, he actually put his both his hands over his ears at one point. It was so loud, the reaction after a point. He just stood there and was looking around and just had both hands on his ears, just trying to deafen out the, the noise because it was just it was just way too much, which was 
was quite sweet. But then he would then play a point and be ridiculous. <laughs> to be so good. So I was like, it's not that bad, is it? You're doing all right. But it's incredible to think that he's largely spent his time on the Challenger Tour. And we spoke about this in a, in a previous episode. The reason he didn't really pop up on the junior circuit or junior Grand Slams was because of the money, Italian tennis, so he could basically base himself in Italy, go around, get the experience. Where the crowds, if we're honest, they're not going to be like a, a next-gen crowd. They're not going to be full of screaming people and flashing lights and all the, the bells and whistles that go along with next-gen. And then he's played in a handful of senior tournaments. And yes, there was talk about him. But suddenly he's in Italy at a next-gen tournament. He's the only Italian representative. It must be it must be quite weird. Yeah, and it's this strange thing, I think, for all of the players in Next Gen because they're treated like superstars. It's kind of like they are the top eight in London, but obviously just for the under-21s. And, and that's the point, is trying to get them used to that sort of stage. And this is unbelievable for Sinner to have the crowd behind him. People really think he can win the tournament. I mean, he really can. And, and I was also talking about it yesterday because we did a Dimonor who wasn't great for his first match quite flat to be honest he got he got through it and that was fine but he is here as the top seed and I was actually looking through his list of uh, tournaments that he'd played and you have to go back quite far the last time he was the top seed and probably the favorite to, and he's the heavy favorite to win the tournament he's won three titles this year no one else has won a title in the event in this the year TFO won one last year but he's been operating at a different level. He's top 20. And I think it's good for him to come to this tournament and be like, OK, I'm the heavy favourite to win. I'm the top seed. Can I get the job done? Because when you move up the ranks and if you want to be a Federer or a Djokovic or whatever, that's what you've got to do, right? You've got, you've got to be the top seed and you've got to deliver. And I think he kind of struggled with it a little bit in the first round. I mean, he did get through, but it wasn't easy for him. So, yeah, I mean, I just think it's great all round. And and. Actually, now that I'm here, I'm really, I really feel like this is such a good preparation for them in terms of what this is why they've gone on so well. I, I really think you know Sitsipas went on to have a great year and Chung did as well. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's because of the way they're treated, the way the crowd respects them, the way they are the favourites to win these tournaments, the way it's pressure. And I think all of that is really what propels them on. So it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, Dimonor's going to have to pick it up in terms of his level if he wants to win the title. But, you know, it's, it's a totally different type of pressure. He spent the last year being the underdog and, you know, having a whale of a time in, in that sense and, and playing great. A big thing about Next Gen is bringing in changes that may or may not make their way onto the senior tour. We've seen things like the shot clock, for example. I saw a message on social media yesterday from someone that said, it's amazing when a player has to get the towel himself, he suddenly doesn't sweat at all and doesn't need a towel. Yes, well, we had quite a lot of finger pointing to the towel. Uh, we were thinking, <laughs> yep, keep pointing, it's not coming to you. Uh, but the biggest thing with the having to get your towels yourself, players don't like it because it's a nuisance, right? They, they, it's just annoying. They're used to having the towel brought to them and, you know, it's difficult to take that away from somebody, I guess. Uh, so last year it was that they would go and sit down at the change of ends and they'd forgotten their towel and then they had to get up and go and get their towel. So they waste the time at the change of ends. So this year they've got boxes each end. So there's two boxes each end, one with each name. 
So you have Dimonor and Ketsmanovich written on the box. And that's your towel box. So they would put a towel at either end so they don't need to keep remembering it. So that kind of works a bit better. But we still get a lot of pointing at towels just automatically after after a point. <laughs> thinking, well, that's an interesting celebration. <laughs> How big is the box? It's the same size as last year. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> it's small. <laughs> oh. it, it, the size of this box is sort of the size of a hand towel. And we know that largely the players, you're going to play like Francis Tiafo sweats a lot. They use big towels. You get these guys asking for bath sheets that are as tall as the players. And we're talking over six foot, some of these players. And then, and they don't even, they can't even now hand it to the ball boy or ball girl. So I, I just remember last year, they'd sort of lob, lob this towel, this bath sheet into this tiny, tiny, tiny little box. It would spill out everywhere. It would fall on the court. It's, I just thought they could have got bigger boxes. I mean, I know there's now more boxes, but they could have got bigger boxes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they've increased the number, but not the size. <laughs> but you know what? The one thing that actually really freaks me out with every year, and I know it shouldn't because it's absurd, but the, the, the court with no tram lines. It's weird. It just feels so narrow. It doesn't look right. I would love to know if players genuinely play in a more narrow style like they don't go for as much width playing on a court like that it feels totally different and also i'd like to know what happens is when you're pushed out wide what players do when they make different decisions because here when you're pushed out wide to about where the doubles line would be you kind of feel quite stranded because you're quite far away from the actual court so i feel like players might go for broke a little bit more than not interested in hanging in as much because they f you just have that feeling especially the ones that don't have the best movement they just feel a little bit more stranded like oh, i gotta go for it here i'm in no i'm nowhere whereas actually if you put them in the tram line it's like well they're just in the tram line i don't know maybe i'm just reading way too much into this no no but i i imagine look you know more about this than me that you practice all the hours and all the days of practice you've done in your life have been on a court with with tram lines with double lines in it and so i imagine in terms of patterns getting a feel for the courts it's all with those lines involved and then suddenly you're on a court and it's weird I, from a commentating point of view the first day you're like it's just not right it just doesn't look right so I imagine if you're so used to patterns and routines and practice on a court that looks very different then you're going to feel a little bit maybe initially out of your comfort zone yeah, there are all these different sorts of routines, aren't there, that, that players have and, and just things that you're used to. So I've never played on a just a singles court. I've never played without tram lines. So I just don't know. You have to do so much with the court visually in terms of anticipation. You have to know the dimensions of the court. You have to see things relative to the surroundings because to be able to anticipate, you've got to understand that. I mean, it's maths and physics ultimately, but, you know, we don't talk about it like that. And, yeah, I suppose you just got to get a grip and a perspective. It's just a totally different perspective. But we, <laughs> we were having a conversation last night at dinner, and I was saying it's one of those things with players that, there are all the with the rule changes there are certain things that in my opinion would just make a player fall over so <laughs> <laughs> the tram lines aren't quite one they're definitely discombobulating but the biggest one for me is if you said to any tennis player right go play your match but you're not allowed to bounce the ball before your serve i think people, people would just fall over <laughs> just wouldn't know how to do it just swing and miss don't know how to hit a serve without bouncing the ball could you do it i mean Obviously, you can do it, but it just feels... But did you ever do it? No. But this is the thing. Why does everybody bounce the ball? I don't understand. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> I don't know why people don't do something else. Why does everybody have the same routine? Like, like it, what? What What else would you do instead of bouncing the ball? What well, I don't do? know, because in between the point, 
Rafa goes to his towel or somebody else looks at their strings or somebody goes for a walk around or whatever. But everybody bounces the ball. There's no one who doesn't bounce the ball. And I just feel like it's the sort of thing that if you kind of banned it and said, no ball bouncing, it's not allowed. <laughs> players would just be like, can't serve. Don't know, don't know how to play. Can't start the point. <laughs> got, got no idea. Marin Cilic and Novak Djokovic would be in a really bad place. <laughs> exactly. They just wouldn't know what to do. They'd probably give up. They'd be like, okay, that's that's it. Time on my career now. I mean, I Marin Cilic, 30 bounces before he serves. You suddenly, he already with the shot clock in his mind, he starts at 10. So he's already had to readjust and he's already done 10 his head before he does another 20 odd. If you then said to him, it's banned, you're going to get a point penalty. I'm going to be a, oh, it'd be a complete mess. And that was also the thing with, uh, I was, we've got a shortened warm up here. So it's just three minutes, which I've always been a big fan of. I'm like, yes, do you know what? Get rid of the warm up. Again, I think players just fall over. First game, they'd be like, don't know how to play. Because... As a as a commentator, I'm kind of like, get rid of the warm-up. Let's just get out and play. It's, it's fine, you know. None of this faff nonsense. Everybody knows how to hit a ball. You'll warm up as you play. It's not a problem. But then when I was a player, if you'd have said that to me, I would have lost it. I would have absolutely, <laughs> I would have been, you what? You want me to play without a five-minute warm-up? I would have just been like, no, just can't possibly happen. And I think most players <laughs> would be like that. I think reducing it in time it works quite well. They still get a little bit of a hit, but you can just go through everything quickly. But yes, <laughs> it's just quite funny. <laughs> just what could you do to make a player fall over? It must be quite weird for you, though, because I've always been this side, as in the non-playing side. But you've gone, as you've just said there, from playing to commentating. So have you changed your mind on loads of things, like you just said then? As a player, I want my warm-up. Now you're thinking, get rid of the warm-up. Do you find a lot of things that you thought as a player you needed? You're now looking from the other side thinking, I cannot believe either they do that or I did that. Yes, quite a few things. I mean, sometimes I find myself even thinking, why do we even have sit-downs in the middle of a set? Why don't we just play a whole set and then sit down at the end of the set? Because some of these sets are just, especially the big servers, it's just kind of bosh, bosh, bosh. It's it's a minute. And then they do another game that's a minute. And then they're sitting down and they're just looking around. And I'm thinking, why are you sitting down? <laughs> why are you having a break? I mean, they have to for TV and adverts and that sort of thing. So they, they're not allowed to just continue on. But yeah, no, I, I mean, but as a player, I, I would have thought you were crazy. I would just say, no, child, would you, would you, of course I have to sit down. I have to sit down. That's what we do. We sit down. <laughs> I would love you to be president of something one day within tennis and just sit there saying, right, I'm banning this, this and this. This is not going to happen. I don't care that it used to happen. I can see you in that kind of position, just laying down your rules. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, definitely. I, I, could, I could change a few things. Um, but anyway, I wanted to ask you, I haven't asked you yet, but how was football? Yes, well, I know how it was. I know it was eventful. It was. <laughs> but what was your take on the Chelsea game? It, it was quite funny, actually, because working yesterday on Chelsea's Champions League game with Ajax, and we chat throughout the day, and we always sending each other messages, and we were nattering. And I think at one point, I was, I was watching the game, but my phone was somewhere else charging, and, and I could hear it sort of pinging. And I kept going back and looking at it, and you were saying, how's the football? How's it? it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. At one point, you were chatting about something, and I was like, Naomi... Uh, eight goals, two red cards, one disallowed goal. I'm not actually sure what's going on. Um, I'll, I'll speak to you a little bit later. It, it was it was incredible. Chelsea were four one down to Ajax. They got to the semi-finals of Champions League um, last season. Ajax Dutch team, really really great team. Everyone knew they were going to be goals. You've got two young teams. They like to attack. It was mental. They got both their centre halves sent off within a minute of each other. Ajax. Everyone's looking around, going. 
Right, okay, so what happens now? So they're down to nine men. But the great thing is, and I won't spend too much talking about the football, Chelsea obviously then had the incentive, right? They've got two extra men, just go for it. Ajax, you've got to love them. They're down to nine men and all they kept doing was attacking. And you're sort of thinking, what are you doing? You, 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 stop. But that's, um, one of the guys I was working with, Mario Melchior, played for both teams. He said that's what, he joined Ajax as a nine-year-old. And he says, that's what you're born and bred to do. They give you the shirt and they say, when you wear the shirt, you're already a winner because you're wearing the shirt. You have to attack. And he said, it's in their DNA. It's just what they do. No, it's incredible. So how many men would they have to go down to before they would stop attacking? Well, I think if they lost another one, they'd default the game. Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, right. it's, <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Would they get kicked off the pitch before they keep trying to make a break? Yeah, they, they weren't far off actually the game having to stop. It, would look, it was crazy. Uh, and Ajax had been banned from having their fans in the stadium. So it was this really weird thing. When they scored, there was silence. And you had to kind of take a second look and say, they score? Is that a goal? Because deathly silence. Absolutely deathly silence. Then Chelsea scored and you've got, what, nearly 40-odd thousand people screaming. Um, Yeah, no, it was crazy. So I apologise if I stop messaging at some point because (laughs) I got to the point. I was like just trying to figure out everything that was going on. And we were about to go back on air and try and analyse a game that basically no one can make sense of because it was completely crazy. So, um, yeah, so yeah, I apologise if my messages went from like sentences to one word. <laughs> Your lack of interest in the in, ins and outs of Sinner's game style <laughs> during that match. I take it very personally. <laughs> I know. And I, I think I'd said, didn't you? I thought maybe Sinner will come through and win this competition. And then I totally forgot he was playing and you were messaging me. And I was like, oh, this is another goal. There's a red card. So it was, no, it was great. It was a great night. Um, you've got to hope that both Chelsea and Ajax go through to the, the knockout stages because, um, yeah, no, they were, they were awesome. So I've gone from that last night to dealing with the passing of a, a pumpkin today. It's, uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> The other thing that we have been getting is some really lovely messages and pictures about the mugs that we've been sending out. Oh, of course, the mugs. Yes. So I saw there was one in Australia. Yes, our only Australian mug has arrived in Australia. There is one tennis mug in Australia and it's arrived. There was a mug that arrived in France with a spider in it. Um, yeah, no, that was... I, from I, your house well no I don't, it wasn't there when <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't there when I sent it so I don't know what happened there but people are sending some really lovely pictures but then someone messaged saying that now we're um, partnering with the Tennis Channel Podcast Network they want a new mug with the Tennis Channel logo on I'm not going to lie <laughs> slightly irritating that we have changed our logo just after we've done some of the marks <laughs> with the logo but no okay we, we can only do so much that's th- th- you got your mug it works it works right that's that's enough and i've got one now as well that's really exciting but, but can but can i ask do you, have you actually deprived someone else of a mug because if i'm right because yes. th- <laughs> if i'm right in thinking your mug is still with someone on the street where you live it's somewhere on my road yes i can't what I can't find it. It's been about six months. But surely your <laughs> name is on the mug. Surely someone would have delivered it to you. No, no, they uh, have not been interested in that. And it did have the correct address because I was delivered two at the same time. I know you got 30 at the same time in the individual boxes. Uh, 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 I got 30 at the same time to the wrong address. Well, now I'm just saying that mine came to the right <laughs> address and I got your one delivered to the right address. And the other one got kind of put with a different house in terms of look after this package 
And they're looking after it very well, apparently. <laughs> so we'll be taking their job very seriously. We have listeners who are actually planning mug photo shoots, which I'm quite excited about. But so far, um, you must have seen this picture. Um, got to say a massive thank you to, to Evan and Carol Grant because they went mountain climbing and at Everest Base Camp, they took a photo Oh, well, Evan took a photo of him listening to tennis on his phone. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. At Everest Base Camp as well. On the on the Kala Patar. Does that sound does that sound like something? It sounds like you've never been there. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I'll ever I'll ever be there. The Kalapatar, the Kalapatar, the Kalapatar. Um, is where there's a picture of of tennis being waved around and listened to so i've got amazing that's amazing isn't it that's definitely the most extreme tennis listening so i think there are some tennis photo shoots planned so um i cannot wait for look something i I, i'm all seriousness tennis wise i want to talk to you about because i just can't get my i just can't get my head around it um maybe you can get your head around this is is jack sock and it's partly because i was looking through my predictions for our end of year in January, we made loads of predictions for what was going to happen. Mine are largely wrong. One of mine was breakthrough player <laughs> was going to be Jack Soccer because he ended last year. He was around 105. And so I thought, well, he's going to go on a bit of a run because the year before he was world number eight. As of this week, Jack Sock, Grand Slam doubles champion, Masters winner, has no ranking. How is that possible? He has no ranking. He has fallen off the computer. That is, that's what you call it. It's, it's not on the system. I don't know. It, I mean, how do you explain anything that Jack Sock has done in his career? But it is, I mean, look, it's concerning to an extent. I think more, more a case of just making sure that he's okay. Not that it's my job to make sure he's okay. I just hope that he's all right. Because, yeah, he's had a couple of injuries and bits and pieces. But on the whole, he's just not won any matches. So, after not defending a couple of wins in Paris last year, that's it. He is he's he's done. But uh, yeah, it, 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 look, it's not actually as bad as it sounds in terms of the situation. It is not great. And as I say, assessing where Jack Sock is at, who on earth knows? I wouldn't even want to guess. But it, he's clearly not in love with tennis right now. So that is 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 not ideal. And that is a quite an extraordinary thing to to go from top ten to unranked when you haven't really had a serious injury like I know he was out for a little while with his hand but ultimately you know he has just fallen all the way down but in terms of coming back if he gets into a good place with tennis and he's really focused and he wants to do it and he decides no it's fine he won't have a problem it's not like he has to completely start again from the bottom and work his way up and it's going to take two years to get there he'll still get wild cards into loads of challenges and look we've seen it he beat Fanini in Labour Cup if he wants to play well he can play well he just doesn't want to a lot of the time and he does clearly as I say is not really in love with tennis so I would say that if he were to come back, it's kind of like coming back from about 200. It's tough to fall past that when you've been as good as him because, as I say, you're going to get some wild cards, you're going to get some spots, and the level of tennis he can produce is pretty huge. But it is dependent on wild cards. Say some of those tournaments didn't give him a wild card for whatever reason. Maybe they think there's other more worthy people who are local to the challenger. I know he's a big name and he's won Grand Slam titles in doubles. And as I mentioned, the Paris Masters, he is a big name, big draw. But if they think there are other more worthy people, it's going to get awfully, 
difficult for him? Or do you think that Jack Stock is still a big enough name that if you're a challenger trying to draw sponsorship and people etc etc then you would need someone like Jack Sock you'd be mad not to give a wild card Jack Sock 100% I think he will be particularly for challenges he'll be fine he might even get some wild cards into tour events as well I, I would imagine as long as he's showing that he's committed and focused then I, I think that people would be would be fine with that but if everybody decided to lock down and say no wild cards for Jack Sock he has to start again and earn it then you know it's going to take probably the best part of uh, well he'd have to start again right from the bottom so it just takes time even if you win every single event so you're talking six months really before he would get up to being a decent ranking but then maybe that'd be good for him because he'd play a lot of matches who knows um, and when I say decent ranking talking like a hundred and something so like probably 150 would possibly take him six months or so three it would take three tournaments for him to to jump up to 500 or something like that so it wouldn't it wouldn't take a huge amount of time as as long as he was locked in and wanting to do it but I'm sure he'll he'd get some wild cards along the way he's part of the USA Davis Cup finals team taking but it's a tournament we're both going to be at in Madrid the week after the tour finals and maybe we saw with Sasha Zverev at the Lever Cup he'd been through some really tough stuff off the court as well as on the court and I know largely the off-court stuff has really settled down now so that's fine but you saw the kind of fire back in his eyes at Labour Cup it was playing in a team and everyone kind of jumping on him and and he seemed to fall in love with tennis a little bit again and and maybe for Jack Sock it could be as simple as being part of that Davis Cup team we know he's one of the best doubles players in the world that will be his strength in that week that maybe it's something like that and he thinks actually I love this because the difficulty is if he's thinking I love it when it's a team sport, there are just not enough team events in tennis for, for that to be a thing for Jack Sock. Yeah, and he is a world-class doubles player. He is one of the best in the world, but he hasn't played much doubles either. In the last year, he's only played a handful of events. So. But you don't forget it, do you? I mean, it's, is it, it's just like riding a bike. I mean, this guy has been at the very, very top in doubles, winning Grand Slam titles. Surely he hasn't played a lot, but and especially with doubles when, when you've got your partner alongside you. Do, do you think... That would be a stretch. Yeah, I mean, look, he is he's one of the best doubles players in the world. And I think it's probably right that he's on the team. I mean, if you were the captain, you'd probably be like, definitely. I mean, it could come down to the doubles. That would be the final match after the, the two singles matches. So you definitely want him involved. It seems like he can play with anyone under any sort of circumstance and win any sort of match and beat any opponent. So... Of course, you want something like that in your team. But in terms of moving forward and for 2020, you can't just keep only playing Labour Cup and Davis Cup. <laughs> Can you imagine that? My job is to play two events a year. I'll tell you what, you earn a lot of money for both of those things. So he would earn plenty of money to, to live off. He would be completely comfortable. But it's just whether he'd keep getting selected. Now, have you noticed that the holiday photos have started appearing on Instagram? Oh, yes. Yeah, nice holidays. Nice holidays. And and look, they deserve it. Uh, you know more than most, they used to call it a tennis year, not a tennis season, because it is very, very long. Already there are, I saw Kai Kanepi actually posting, pre-season has begun. And I'm thinking that is, that is incredible. It is early November and she's already in her pre-season. You've got others that are on the beaches saying, you know, goodbye. Daria Kasatkina said, you know, it's been a shocker. I've hated this year, but I'm on the beach now and let's look forward to it. It's almost as though as soon as it finishes, they're starting about, it's starting again. Yeah, and it's all, it's very different because, yeah, Kazakina said it's been a shocker. Heather Watson said a week into her off-season that she missed tennis again. 
To which Christina Pliskova rep- responded with, really? Uh, <laughs> okay. Because everybody else is going, we're loving life on a beach. And Heather's saying, oh, I want to get back on court. But uh, yeah, no, so it, it's different for everybody. But it's good to have that break so that you get those feelings back again and you do, do kind of miss it a bit. But yeah, holidays looking good. And I tell you who's going to have a nice holiday will be Ash Barty. Oh, wow. I mean, with... 11 point was it something 11.3 million dollar earnings in 2019 a large chunk of them coming at the WTA finals that is going to be that's going to be one hell of a Christmas yeah do you think she would even go on holiday she's the sort of person that would just be at home right she just like well I, she doesn't get much chance to be back home so she, you can imagine her saying oh, I'm not going to the Maldives I travel all year I'm just going to stay at home and, <laughs> and have a nice time well she's not done just yet she's of course got a fed cup you know so it's been poof. but what a year imagine if it was capped off with fed cup winning that as well can you just oh absolutely extraordinary but I mean the whole the whole thing I mean winning her first grand slam on clay no one thought it was going to be on clay. It's still not a favourite surface, but she's got a grand slam. So that's fine, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> that's just part of the process, I imagine. And something you've talked about before with Ash Barty is there's no... Firstly, she's she's really done well being world number one, and she's backed up. So she backed up her first grand slam title by going and winning a title on grass, showing that she was still focused. There was no fallout. She seems to carry the world number one really well. And also... There's not a lot of fuss. She's not really a fussy person. You've talked about this before. Bianca Andreescu, wow. I mean, maybe it's because she's a little bit younger, just a different personality, but I think she's had a road named after her and she's been meeting presidents and, and rap stars and been on all Got the... Got a national day. Nas- a national... Can you imagine having a national day? Yeah. I mean, it's quite quite contrasting between the two of them because Barty's year has been phenomenal the breakthrough the number one the first grand slam she won a a, a, a huge event uh what's uh, sorry I'm, I'm, a, I'm on ATP language at the moment in terms of masters events it was a premier mandatory right that she won <laughs> she won this <laughs> very confused I'm in the ATP zone and uh and of course now in Shenzhen and the way that she's played the way that she's dealt with it it's been very I can't believe she's had such a stunning year and it's been so quiet that's what I don't understand I don't know how she's managed it and it must be just because of her and her humility because if we think about Andrescu everything she did was there was a song and dance about it it was just all over the place it was the loudest sort of I mean, it was a phenomenal run. She had every right to be kind of, you know, look at what I'm doing. This is amazing. But it was so, um, I don't know, it was just so big. And it was just such a big thing. And then bubbling under, well, yeah, Barty won the French Open. And then she, she became number one just after that in Edge Bastard. And then, and then actually she was fine being number one because a lot of people who get to number one aren't fine being number one. And she was like, oh, actually, no, this is cool. This is all right. And and then she's finished the year end number one. And, and of course, get, reaching Fed Cup finals, winning in Shenzhen. I mean, the list is just endless. But it's just very quiet. And even if you compare it to somebody like a Medvedev, that was quite a lot of noise about it as well. Everybody's talking about it. Is he now part of the big four? Is this, is this it? Because if you think about it, when Osaka won her first slam, it was, is she going to dominate women's tennis? When Andreescu won, or I don't know, at numerous points along her ridiculous seven-month streak, <laughs> particularly when the US Open, it was, is Andreescu going to dominate? But I don't think we ever had those conversations about Barty. And I think people are now thinking, ah, huh, maybe we missed a trick there. 
I think the great thing, um, you mentioned Medvedev, as he started scooping up his master's titles, um, he eventually got to go home to Russia and celebrate with his family. But you'd see these tweets come out and it'd be, ah, I'm really happy to uh, be partnered with this watch. And the next day, oh, wow, I'm really looking forward to my partnership with this bank. And on in this car manufacturer, I'm thinking, wow, okay. So that was really, and I noticed that with Karen Hishanov when he won Paris. The next day there was a watch. It seems to be a watch, a bank, and a car. Would that be right? Are they the kind of three big ones? Yeah, there, there, there is a process, isn't there? <laughs> You've got to tick, tick them all off. You get the kit sorted. You get the racket sorted. You just nail down better deals there. Sometimes you might make a change. And then, yeah, yeah then, then you're off with, with the cars and the watches and everything. But I do want to just make... A, a shout out to the WTA. I mean, you mentioned that prize money and I think just putting it in perspective, I mean, it's the biggest prize money across all uh, men's and women's tennis in terms of to, to pick up for the, for the winner, an individual prize. And it's just worth noting that for a female athlete in the world to be able to pick up that much money with nothing being based on your marketability is actually incredible. It's just about what you've done. We know that Lots of athletes, mainly tennis players, let's be honest, but lots of other athletes can earn a huge amount of money, whether it's golfers or, or from or you know Ronda Rousey at the UFC. When they become really marketable, they can earn twenty million dollars a year, and it's phenomenal. And of course, Serena and Sharapova have been doing that as well. But to be able to earn that amount of prize money based on what you have done and what you have achieved as a woman and nothing to do with your media or marketability. Um, I think that is a, a an unbelievable statement that the WTA have made. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And the lineup they had at the finals is the shame that injury and illness kicked in and took a chunk of them out of it. But it was, no, it, it's amazing. And it's great to see that prize money there. And a real worthy winner in, in Ash Barty. And as you say, she's got the Fed Cup. Can you imagine if Australia win the Fed Cup? She's just going to need a little bit of time to process it all. Maybe she needs, needs to go and find a nice island and sit on it quietly and enjoy. <laughs> oh, that'd be incredible. Um, still a couple of weeks left of tour finals. The groups have been drawn for the tour finals that we're going to be together at. And remember, we've been speaking about this last few weeks. I, I think I've tipped Roger Federer to win. The tour finals. Could I now change that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait. When did you tip him at the beginning of the year? Uh, yeah, I, I believe that was my tip in the time capsule that will be opening at the O2. Uh, but right. I even said it as recently as this week that I believe Roger Federer would win the win the um, tour finals. Can I? Can Why I? Why do you want it? to change it? What based on the draw? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. In a. In a group with Djokovic. Now, I'm assuming, thinking, probably that those two will progress from the group. But I, I'm just thinking now. No, but, but that, what's wrong with being in a group with Djokovic? Because then uh, he could come through second. Say he can't beat Djokovic. He would come through second. And then he wouldn't have to play him in the semifinals. So he's got more of a chance of making the final. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay, I think you... Okay, I'll stick with him. Well, who did you go for? Who have you gone for? Who will you go for? What, at the beginning of the year? Yeah. Well, we don't need to go over that. I went with Del Potro, so <laughs> I probably should change. <laughs> or do you think I should double down and stick with Del Potro? <laughs> It'd be a very me thing to do. Well, it's you. Well, I think you could have another one because because he's in. Not because if he just hadn't made it because he wasn't good enough, you'd have to just say, well, I, I messed that up. But as he's injured and not playing, I think you have a right to change. Oh, you're so generous. Thank you. I don't think anyone else sees it that way. Uh, but <laughs> I will change... 
and pick Zverev. Ooh, okay. All right then. So you're going Zverev, who's in the other group. With... Wait, no, I don't want to do that. No. Oh. Uh, do you know what? Oh. I haven't thought this through. <laughs> it's, you know, it's coming across. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, well, I'll just have to stick with it then, won't I? Oh, okay. I don't know. I can't even remember the groups. Who's in Bjorn Borg and who's in Agassi? I can't remember. <laughs> now, something I want to clear up with you uh, before you get stuck back into your next gen world is something you said. Was it last week during Paris? And I think I didn't think it made sense at the time. And I think I just went along with it because we were on air. But I've been thinking about it and I don't really understand it. If if I've totally confused you. Um, right. Playing tennis means that you can't play the piano. Oh. <laughs> I think I followed you at the time. But I didn't. I, I, just, I think I was looking at you going... What are you talking about? And I was going, yeah, yeah, no, of course. Yeah, obviously that makes sense. Well, what are you talking, what were you talking about? There are numerous players that uh, have proven whatever that statement is wrong anyway, because we've got loads of players <laughs> that play the piano. Or, how many others? So Auger Aliassime plays piano, yep. Mute, yep. and Umber. Yeah. And they play the piano to a high level. I think yes. they're the only ones that I know of for now. And they play the piano to a high level. But I was just saying that when I was little, I used to play a fair amount of piano and nothing to their level. Don't get me wrong. They're like professional or something. Or they could be anyway. And you have to be able to, ha you have to have really flexible fingers. You have to be able to reach really far very quickly. You have to be able to wrap your, your hand, your fingers around keys and all this sort of thing. And I noticed that when I got to about 12 years old and I started playing more tennis and less piano, that I just actually couldn't reach as far. And it was a combination of not practicing the flexibility. But also I think tennis players in general, a lot of them struggle to straighten their fingers fully by the time they get to the end of the career because they have been gripping the racket so hard for so long that it's just become very, very tense, if you see what I mean. And I think a lot of it's to do with that. So I was just wondering whether through their careers they will struggle more and more to play the piano. I don't want to say I've got to go, but I have to go because there's a couple of things today. I've Today's the day to do my visa application for the Australian Open. Oh, of course. It can yeah. take quite a while. Visas. So I've set myself a nice chunk of time to yeah. do that. And then I've got to... <laughs> I'm going to... I'm, I know we weren't treating pumpkins as real people, but I'm going to I'm going to make the pumpkin look presentable before <laughs> see now before no, I'm out. <laughs> no, before it goes to the squirrels to be one with the squirrels. I'm going to make it look presentable because it's it's looking a little worse for wear because Halloween was a while ago. It came out with us on Halloween. You know, it was prodded and lights put in it and all the other things. So it's not looking great, shall I say? And I just <laughs> I just feel if I can just make him look at him it pumpkin wow <laughs> oh my word i'm gonna start naming it if i can make it uh, if, if i name it it becomes human it becomes a person so i can't do that but if i can make the pumpkin look a bit more presentable then maybe the passing over to the squirrels will be a little bit smoother yeah uh, okay right I, I can understand i mean look i'm not on board i'm sure there is someone listening to this that's had to go through something similar it might not be with a pumpkin but please tell me there is someone out there that kind of gets this thing about explaining slightly random things to children in my case, that the squirrels eat the pumpkin, it, it's not murder or cannibalism. It's just, it's the, it's the circle of life. Right, I don't think you know, oh. talking about murder or cannibalism. What? <laughs> They're not words I've brought up or will be bringing up. But sometimes I feel when you have a four-year-old boy crying, genuinely crying, bless him, because you're going to give his pumpkin, his friend, <laughs> to, to a squirrel to eat, 
I mean, it can sound quite brutal. So I'm going to do my visa and then I'm going to go and I'm going to go and deal with the pumpkin. I'm going to go and dress the pumpkin. (laughs) Enjoy. I I wish you all the best. Like, I can see you're quite anxious. (laughs) Good luck. Enjoy the tennis. (laughs) Yeah, bye. Bye. Bye.